Hi, I'm Robert Bomander, and I am a Big Year Birder, and this is the Big Year Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Big Year Podcast. I just completed a big year in 2022, birding in all 10 of the provinces and two of the territories. During the year, I counted 456 species, which unfortunately left me one short of the all-time record of 457 by the husband and wife team of Neil and Andrea McLeod, and only one of four people in Canada to have ever seen more than 450 species in a single calendar year. Now, in the ABA area, only 15 birders have ever seen more than 747 species, which gives you an idea of how rare both numbers are. Now, in this podcast, I'm going to have a chance to talk to the birders of the big year and have them share their experiences of birding for 365 days straight and traveling all across North America from the dry tortugas in the far southeast to the Atu Islands in the far northwest. All have done big years, whether they've been in the ABA area or state or province big years. Some people even county big years. People who have had birds rule their lives for 365 days. It's not just a personal journey, but can also have an impact on family members and friends who are sometimes left behind, as Sue can attest to. When we obsessives, who are also birders, focus in on one thing and one thing only, it actually becomes an advantage when doing a big year. I was not even a birder when I began my big year, and our guest Sandy Camito was one of my early inspirations. In November of 2011, Sue, who had been birding since before I met her, took me to a movie, The Big Year, starring Steve Martin, Owen Wilson, and Jack Black, who portrayed the three birders who did the 1998 Big Year, Al Leventon, Sandy Comito, and Greg Miller. Watching The Big Year was one of the best decisions I ever made, as it led me to read the book, The Big Year, by Mark Bosmick, and changed my life forever. I wanted to do this Big Year thing. I was intrigued by the idea of seeing all the birds, and I had a job that already had me traveling around North America, so I thought I could try it. I began the year, 2012, uh, thinking as a beginner that I was only going to see maybe 300 species or so. At the time, not even knowing the difference between a titmouse and a bush tit or a snowcock and a woodcock. By the end of January, I had already seen 120 species and I was totally into it, hooked and obsessed and went on to see 600 species in 2012. Not a lot of people, if ever, have begun birding by doing a North American ABA area big year. It was amazing and addicting, but I kept going. In 2016, I did it again, traveling North America with the Toronto Blue Jays, not as a player, as the team's video coordinator. And after retiring from the Blue Jays in 2021, I did it a third time, birding all of Canada last year in 2022. Our guest, Sandy Kamita, was the first birder to ever do an ABA big year twice and broke his first big year record the second time around. It took until 2013 when Neil Hayward finally surpassed that record when he saw Species 749. Before we do talk to Sandy, let me read from the introduction to his 1998 big year book, I Came, I Saw, I Counted, and he did conquer his record. He had just finished his second big year, having set the record in 1986 and in 1998. He had left his wife at home both times when he tried to break the big year records. This book is dedicated to his wife, Bobby, and this is what he wrote to her. Excuse me while I look at the book and not the camera. 
To my wife, this book is dedicated to Bobby, without whose support and encouragement this effort would not have been possible. If I had the power to nominate someone for sainthood, she would be my first selection. She has had to endure long periods of loneliness while I was away from home, with only an evening telephone call as a substitute for my being there. Disappearing from home for a year is really too much to ask of any spouse, yet out of the goodness of her heart, she unselfishly allowed me to take all this time away from her. No mere words can repay her for the year she lost, and I am truly grateful for her goodness. While I may have done the running around, the achievement is as much hers as it is mine, and I'm more than happy to share it with her. Fairlawn, New Jersey, January 1999. And I can say the same thing for Sue, who has put up with my two big years, three big years, and uh, traveling for work for most of our relationship. And it is the spouses and the friends and family that really have to be thanked because they're the ones that have put up with us for so long. And now let's get to our interview with Sandy and his big year. I am very pleased to have Sandy Comito, who some people might say is the king of the big year, having done two... North American ABA big years, and at the time of, was it 1998? Uh, the last one was 1998. At 1998 big year, had seen or heard 748 species, am I correct there? I believe that's correct. And that was the record it for... It so long ago, it's hard to remember, <laughs> for sure. Uh, have to for that. I'm pleased to have you because obviously once I learned about big years and I learned about you and Ken Kaufman and... Hi, I've come back from the future because after I said the name Ken Kaufman, my mind went completely blank and I couldn't remember the other birders I wanted to mention. Chief among them, of course, would be Al Leventon and Greg Miller, who are Sandy's only competition because you were only competing against yourself back in 1998. I had an advantage. I had done a big year before. Huge advantage. Why? Because it taught me the mistakes I won't make the second time. But until you start the first time, you don't realize how many mistakes you can make mm -hmm. in strategy and everything else. Secondly, all of the 80s and the 90s, that's a 20-year period, I saw every year 500 or more species in North America. A tremendous advantage. The people that I've spoken to in the past who want to do a big year, what they do is they say something like, you know, I've seen 600, 700 birds, whatever the number happens to be, 800. I'm only missing three or four or 30 or 40 or whatever, and they want to get it out of the way. Mm -hmm. And they decide they'll force themselves to get these out of the way by doing a big year. Well, that is one of the most depressing reasons why you shouldn't do it. Yes, I agree. You all of all of a sudden you think you got nothing else to live for. I've seen it all, mm -hmm. and while the truth is, you've never seen it all. You can't. No one can. There's only one way to to, to get an edge. Take a year when there's. When February has 29 days. <laughs> say, well, that's only one day. It may be one day, but in order to do record sighting, you have to get two birds a day for a year. 
2012, which was a leap year, uh, which gave me one extra day, and uh, I think I would have not seen the Western Spindalis without that extra day. It, what motivated you to become a birder in the first place? So that's, I, I'm assuming that goes back to your childhood? adventure like where was the first place you went that you could say this really is a trip this is an adventure this is somewhere I never thought I'd ever go
Okay. <laughs> there were three different courses that they don't give in the New York City schools anymore. Art appreciation, music appreciation, and nature study. Nature study, uh, they were all interesting to me, all 40 minutes each. And the teacher would stand at the door and hand out books. And in the book, there was one picture in the entire book on the frontispiece. page. And this was a life-size book of a bird that was jet black, had a brilliant red color on its shoulder, and just under that red was a yellow bar. That was the most fabulous, beautiful bird I had ever seen. It must have come from the tropics somewhere. <laughs> it had to come from Africa, or it had to come from uh, South America, or, or Asia, or some other fantastic place. I just looked at it. I figured I'll never see one of those. Well, about a couple of months later, I'm walking in a place called Van Cortland Park in the Bronx. It's several thousand acres or more of land, and they have great big fields that are used for athletics. But this is March, so there are no leaves on the trees. The, there are no baseball games going on, no football. And so I'm walking across this wide field, and at the end of the field, is a lone tree, and in the tree, there's some bird making a god-awful sound. It's going, tree, tree, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what most of the birds are, and as I get closer to it, it's about a foot from the top of the tree, and each time it gives this uh, god-awful call, it flares its wings open, and all of a sudden, the little red on the shoulder explodes three or four times its size. Mm -hmm. And I say to myself, I'm, I'm almost stammering, I'm so excited about it. I said, that's the, that's the bird in the book. That's the red-winged blackbird. Mm -hmm. I am beside myself. This was the rarest bird, and to this day, it's still my favorite. I've seen so many wonderful birds, over 6,000 different kinds mm -hmm. on this planet. And that's still my favorite. But also... There were those spring-like days when you got a little bit of a breeze from the south, the southwest, and in came the grackles, in came the, the red-wheat blackbirds, in came a few of the other birds, you know, the, the leaders in the spring. Mm -hmm. And you know spring was here. It didn't matter that the ground was covered with snow. You're ready for it. I'm ready for 365 days of the, of the year. So whether they're going north or they're going south, or they're, they're uh, uh, trying to stall to see if they don't have to fly. As a matter of fact, it's probably a very smart bird. <laughs> he goes across the lake. On the south side of the lake is far more snow than on the north side of the lake. Living just north of Buffalo, we know that. So let's go forward to your, your first big year. What were you doing at the time, and why did that become the goal for... Uh, that year. I assume you had already been to Attu a few times. And you I, I started going to Attu in uh, 1985. And I went for, in the 80s and 90s, I made 12 trips. So that was 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, twice in 93. Then I think I skipped 94 and 95. I then went 96 and then 98. So those should have been the dozen that I went. Mm -hmm. Eleven were spring, and in 93, I did spring and fall. In fact, 
Obviously, you got to a point in your life where you had the money and you had the time, although I know you were still running your business. But at that point, when you decided to do the first big year, uh, what went into that? Because obviously, it was the first one. You'd never done a true big year before. Right. So okay. I didn't do a true big year until then. That was in 87. Mm -hmm. But uh, throughout the 80s and the 90s, I was crisscrossing America So what was the planning and the motivation for the first big year? I still pay $25 a year. It hasn't gone up. <laughs>
get on the phone every day, uh, two, three, four times a day. Mm-hmm. Anything new? Anything new? I didn't want to do that. I had other things to do. They they depicted so, that uh, in the movie The Big Year, the uh, calling in and giving the code word Great Grey Owl or whatever it was. Oh, mine was, uh, uh, that would have been Long-Eared Owl. Oh, Long-Eared Owl. Yeah, that was the one. And that, the reason was I got the Long-Eared Owl on my first uh, big year mm-hmm. in 87 on the last day of the month, on the 31st. I had two guys that I knew from uh, the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. I had a promise I would never tell anybody where this place was. <laughs> I don't mean Philadelphia, but uh, the place where the, where the owl was. They weren't sure it was there. But they were willing, since it was the last day of the year, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And spread out oh, the two fellows on either my right side or my left side. I went down the middle. And fortunately, I was able to spot this bird. And uh, we all got to see it, the last bird of the year. And I drove after that home uh, back to northern New Jersey from Philadelphia and listened to Sinatra singing. It was a very good year. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone, some of the people who are listening who want to know what, was, what it was like in when you didn't have the internet, when you didn't have uh, cell phones, you didn't have, you didn't have G, GPS. <laughs> and that's where when I look at the top uh, ABA big year birders over the last uh, 30 years, uh, there's only 11 people that have seen more than you did in the uh, second big year, and yet they had so many more resources at their disposal. And more birds. There's more birds. In in 1998, Mm -hmm. my second big year, 906 birds are on the ABA list, and that includes a dozen or so extinct. In 2011, I decided, because I had the time on my hands, I decided I'd like to photograph every bird that's ever been seen in North America, except the extincts, of course. Mm-hmm. If they are birds that have only been up to America once, 10 years ago, 50 years, 100 years ago, then I'll go to the country where they're found just to get a picture of them. So I started that on a five-year effort. 2011, and I ended it in 2016, I, I was still short about 100 birds. It may easily have cost three to $4,000 per bird, and that was beyond my, my ability to consider. And, and well, that's that where expensive. the, after you hit 700 on during a big year, it's that, those last 50 that are the most expensive. Oh, Mm-hmm. Sometimes two. Yeah, uh, I remember on the uh, on the second one that you see on the cover of your book. Mm-hmm. It shows us uh, a juvenile short-tailed alb- albatross. That bird, at one time in the early 1900s, there was only one, possibly two islands left where these birds were nesting. Wow! And there was something like 200 of them left in the world. And they kept getting the numbers diminishing because people from Japan would go over to the island, steal the albatross eggs, 
taking out the albatross population. And they were down to 100 pair. Wow. So fortunately, someone realized we can't just give another 100 or 200 eggs, which are all that are left in the world, just so some people can have eggs. Go, go, go buy a chicken. Of course it's mind-boggling. And how could we not see it? So as you can imagine, the uh, passenger pigeons were right in there with them. So the slaughter was enormous. And there was hmm. no thought given to anything except, well, you, uh, the hunters could sell the birds at a penny apiece. Hmm. You put a hundred of them in the, in the, in the, bed, in the barrel, there's a, a dollar. <laughs> in our economy, <laughs> a dollar doesn't mean much. But... In my day, they talked about the, the 400. There were 400 people in, in, in the United States that were millionaires today. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thankful that my wife uh, does, because <laughs> I don't. Uh, Better treat her nicely, then. That is another thing that really is important, especially if you have a spouse. The support of a, a smart guy. And so I assume uh, you were married. My wife's name was Roberta, or Bobby. Bobby. Everybody knew her as Bobby. And I assume you were married uh, to her during both big years. Yeah, uh, we were married. The support of a spouse, especially a North, an ABA North American big year, must be extremely important. The only place that she did never heard back from me for a long period was Addu. Because mm -hmm. in those days, there was no communication except in emergencies. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a Coast Guard base on the island, and that, those were the only people on the island. And we came uh, usually three or four weeks a year. So we got to meet the Coast Guard people. Mm -hmm. but, uh, other than that, they had a very lonely existence there. I would that was no pleasure. And most of those guys that, if they served, they were only allowed to serve one year on ATU because mm -hmm. it was so barren and so unforgiving and weather-wise was anything but uh, uh, attractive. Mm -hmm. I'm 91 now. I've seen... Most of the birds of the world, mm -hmm. I've seen most of the birds of North America. There may be some new ones each each year that they're going to add. Mm -hmm. All I can do is say I enjoy birding every day, or every day that I bird, and that's good enough for me now. Uh, I want to get to ask one more question because you may remember her and you may not. In 2012, uh, I had not seen an Allen's hummingbird yet. One showed up in uh, Pipersville, Pennsylvania. It was in this nice woman's backyard coming to her feeder. And we got to talking. Her name was Babe. And she told stories about you on that too. <laughs> I want to know if you remember her. Very candidly, I don't. Okay, well, that's all right. She she, re she remembered you. Life at Attu, uh, I think that's probably the one trip I need to do and haven't done. I've done uh, Alaska mm -hmm. 51 times. That, the 51 includes uh, a dozen at Attu. Gamble, I think there were nine or ten trips to Gamble. And the rest were scattered all around Alaska. Some of them were as long as six and a half or seven weeks. The least was three days. The, the second big year, did you spend uh, extra time at Attu? Well, I spent four weeks at Attu that year. And I did that for a special reason. Any birds that I would get at Attu, mm 
no records, one record, two records at mm. most. You couldn't find birds of that quality anywhere else. So the idea that I thought of was spend the four weeks on Attu with birds that there would have been between 70 and 110 birds that should have been seen on that four-week trip. And some of these are birds that have never been recorded outside of Alaska or other places. And so it was essential mm -hmm. to put the time into Attu and the fact that other migrating birds are moving from, the, from South America, Central America, and moving north to, to their northern breeding grounds. Worst case scenario, if you missed those birds in the late spring, you had the whole fall migration, the whole fall period, mm -hmm. to catch them again. So why would I want to waste the possibility for a code four or a code five bird to make sure that I got a one mm -hmm. or a two? That made no sense to my senses. And that's, that's how I got ahead of the other guys. Mm -hmm. I wasn't smarter. I just used a, a different system. And remember, I had, I had made all the mistakes in the first uh, mm -hmm. big year. And certainly Al Leventon had the money to compete with you. Okay. I happen to like Al very much. Nice man. A gentleman. Right. He could have afforded to do whatever he wanted to do. I read in the big year book what Al Leventon did. New Year's Eve. He and his wife celebrated the new year. The next day, he birded where he lived in Colorado. Why would you waste that day birding in Colorado? Mm -hmm. That may have cost him quite a bit because he could have been in Arizona with you on January 1st. Sure. And I didn't know about Arizona until two days before the first of the year. I believe don't be so fast to just to save the money that you buy your, your air ticket well in advance. Mm -hmm. Wait until the last couple of days and then to see, decide where are the, are the most rare birds, mm -hmm. code fours and code fives. That's what I had to have. Everything else, I could find a way to get them during the next 363 days. Why waste those days? You can't afford it. I know I learned that from my first big year. Mm -hmm. Nobody else had a, a first big year except the one they were doing. Mm -hmm. Big difference. It didn't make me smarter. It's just I had more experience. And, so, and, and better strategy. Strategy, whether it was better or not, I don't know. It worked out, let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm glad it did because that certainly was a big inspiration for me and probably the one bird in which, and it was the one you saw on January 1st that made me want to do it was the nutting flycatcher. I really wanted to see a nutting flycatcher the very first year I was birding. That wasn't the life bird for me on January the 1st. I had heard about the report, I think it was around the 10th to the 15th of December, and I rushed out to see it, and I recorded it then. Now all of a sudden, it, it was to be expected. And when I got out there on January the 1st, there was something like, I'm gonna get 25 people there. We did get to see it eventually. It was a morning bird. As soon as I finished seeing it, and they were gonna go off for something else, but I had to go after rare birds that were still in the, the Arizona area. Mm -hmm. I didn't waste my time. I had to get the rare birds first, code four and five. If you didn't stick to that basis, you were gonna lose days. And days turned into cost, mm -hmm. and you can't afford And also birding as much fun. The fun aspect of having to see a rare bird, yes, that's fun, that's satisfying, but also there's nothing better than just loping along 
is uh, just uh, just amazing hearing all these stories. Uh, we could probably go on for two more hours, but uh, I do want to ask, what was the rarest bird you saw in your last big year? I think it would have been the short-tailed albatross. Yeah. At the point that we had it, mm -hmm. it had to be something like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's October of the, of the year. Mm -hmm. We're on our way. We've gone as far out into the ocean. I forget whether we're at 80 or 90 miles out mm -hmm. off the California coast. I've already put away my camera, and all of a sudden, I hear somebody holler, short-tailed albatross. But I quickly went back to my bag, got my camera out, and it looped around the boat three times, and I tried to click off shots each time it came around. That was exciting, and the one that you see on the cover was a success for me. Just to finish this off, there are stories of your relationship with Debbie Shearwater. How would you describe your relationship with her uh, in the early years and then post-big year? Debbie wasn't the birder that the rest of us were. Mm -hmm. She loved whales and other mammals. For example, I remember one clear incident where somebody on the boat, we had like 40 or 50 people on the boat. Mm -hmm. Somebody says, there's, there's a, a whale blowing about a half a mile over there. Look at that spray. And she rushes over to <laughs> the whale. I opened my big mouth and I said, I didn't come here to see whales. I came here to see birds, and that should have teed her off enormously. I know if somebody said that to me, that would have bothered me too. Mm -hmm. But so I, was, I wasn't very kindly to her oh. at that time. Mm -hmm. After about a year, I think both of us cooled down, and we, came, we became friendly again. And that remained until today. I have uh, listened to her talk at the beginning of every pelagic I've been on with her, and she runs a tight ship, too. She sure does. She's a good person. I think she's given up the, uh, the birding aspect. Yeah, I was actually on her last pelagic she did out of, uh, I believe it was Half Moon Bay. Meeting Debbie was also one of the goals when I got into and it's birding. A good goal. After, after the two of us hammered out our differences, mm -hmm. uh, we were the love birds, if you will. <laughs> talk again. Uh, I'm hoping that I can get uh, Al Leventon and Greg Miller on the show at some point. I've met Greg in person, but I, you know, Al is one of the ones I haven't uh, talked to yet. So I'm hoping I can get in touch with him. And I have to thank you very much. You are, are a true gentleman and someone that anyone who is about to do a big year of any sort needs to learn about and try and get a copy of the book. I came, I saw, I counted. Anybody that wants to do a big year, the first couple of dozen pages talk nothing about anything except the reasons you want to do it, you should do it, you shouldn't do it, uh, what to expect, what not to expect, how, how to handle costs, airplane tickets, everything else that are going to affect the birder who wants to do that. You have to understand that it may not be that much fun, it's mm -hmm. hard work, getting up before dawn, and it's continuing in the field 
that's and a, I think I'm probably the oldest person that ever did a big year. Mm -hmm. I was 66 when I started and 67 uh, in July of the year when I finished. Once again, thank you, uh, Sandy, for being on the show. Okay, very good. Take care and good birding. Thank you, same to you and yours. Bye-bye. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thank you, Sandy, for coming on the show. I first met Sandy back in uh, 2012, and he's always been friendly and happy to share his experience and advice whenever I got in touch with him. Sandy's wife supported him in every instance, and thanks to Sue, I was able to do this three times in the last 11 years. So thanks for joining me on the first leg of this journey as we visit with some of the best and most obsessive birders in North America, Canada, and possibly the world. Our next episode will feature Eve Morell, who in 2017 became the second female birder to see 760 species in the continental ABA area, and with the addition of Hawaii, counted an amazing 816 species, giving her the top spot that year. Take care, and may the birds be with you.